All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 111. We're here. It's Tuesday night. We love talking to you about what's going on in college football. It's a holiday weekend coming up. We got action going on tonight. I'm still fighting the flu, so that's fun. But looks like we're going to have a show tonight. It's going to be myself. It's going to be my regular co-host, Sirius. You can see he just hopped in the audience. As always, we enjoy hearing from you. So we want you to give us your call. Let us know what you're thinking about. Just hit request, and we can go from there. As you know, there's a couple of action games tonight. There was a battle for the MAC East division, but it's going to probably be Ohio. They lead 38-7 to in the fourth quarter. But the really exciting one is what's going on between Ball State and Miami. Unfortunately, it's on ESPN+, Plus, but the winner of that game is going to get a berth in the Bahamas Bowl. So I love they announced that before the game. So these two teams, both fighting for bowl eligibility, because the other one just simply is going to not have enough wins. They're 17-14, three and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So that's a fun battle right there. I see we've got a couple people wanting to come up and talk, so we're going to go ahead and do that right now. We also, of course, have the latest CFP rankings. Let's see here. P. Stewart, let's go with you first. I brought up you too, Dave, so we'll get to you next. What's up? All right. Hey, um, I get my chance to – I'm a big Mizzou fan. I get a chance to go to a game for the first time this year, and it's this Black Friday game versus Arkansas. Um, for for the last week or so, I thought it was going to be um, Arkansas and Mizzou playing for bowl eligibility, but it looks like it's just going to be Mizzou now since Arkansas beat Ole Miss. So I wonder – you know, I'm just wanting your thoughts about – the motivation for Arkansas, the motivation for Mizzou, and I think it maybe gives Mizzou a little bit of edge going into the game. Absolutely, and I just wanted to check. Sirius, are you up? Yeah, I'm here. I'll let you uh, let you answer this one first. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the, the Hogs looking a bit better. <coughs> Excuse me, I apologize. I have been fighting the flu, if you all can believe that. <laughs> and it has not been fun since our last show, actually. But, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Arkansas has shown just moments of greatness and then just surprising moments of, you know, what on earth happened. Certainly that win over Ole Miss, you know, it's a good time to peak. You know, they LSU beat them, but only by a little bit. That game against Liberty was a little disappointing, and Liberty's all over the place as a program. We'll set that aside. But certainly, I mean, they seem to have a bit of momentum going in, especially after that, that, that strong win. Overall miss and Mizzou, of course, you know, they look good. They've had their own moments in a way. They're they're kind of paired up pretty well. It's hard to say anything about beating New Mexico State, but they had a good game with Kentucky. They obviously beat South Carolina. They beat Vanderbilt, which obviously at this point, the middle of the SEC is anyone's guess. I mean, serious. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's kind of a toss up going into this one. I'd probably give the edge to Arkansas, but it really just depends on which of these two teams shows up on both sides because we've seen them play wildly different games depending on the week. So um, I don't think anybody was expecting Arkansas to kind of play that, that much of a beatdown on Ole Miss last week. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the South Carolina-Missouri game. And uh, after seeing that, nobody would have expected South Carolina to come out and, and drop Tennessee the way they did. So I think that both teams have the potential to play a good competitive game. But, man, I if I was a better, I wouldn't touch this one because, like I said, I, I don't know which of these teams is going to show up on uh, this weekend. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> P. Stewart, what are your thoughts on the game? Well, I think, you know, as, as a Mizzou fan, um, you know, we're, it, so much is I feel like right now is riding on um, Brady Cook's shoulders and – him having to have a at least an above average game and at this point that's that's the big question mark because we've shown the defense can play um there's some there's some tools of running back and an offensive line but right now the quarterback play is just that's the big question mark and and again like like the other guy was saying you don't know which mizzou team is going to show up especially offensively and you especially don't know which brady cook is going to show up Overall, what are your thoughts on this season? Because I know Mizzou fans in particular have been kind of un, you know, unsure of where they were in, in terms of how much they wanted to see um, from Drink. Well, I mean, I think, I think the fan base, I think this just 
for the casual fans in the state, which there's a lot of casual Mizzou fans in Missouri because a lot of people either go to St. Louis pro teams or Kansas City pro teams or the Chiefs, which are huge around here. Um, so I think a win this week would be huge for drink, huge for the program. There's still some, still some patience because the recruiting has been so good under him that his his last two classes were top 20 classes. And so you're talking about the redshirt freshmen or sophomores right now. Um, and by next season, they should make a much bigger impact. But I think people are still cautiously optimistic about drink, um, but definitely a little luster has come off this season. Um, if we could have just gotten one of those wins against UK or Georgia, you know, and, and we had, you know, another game in the bag too, that we should have won. Um, we'd be going to a bowl and everybody'd be fine. But I think people are a little nervous about drink, but still cautiously optimistic. Well, we appreciate it, man. It was good talking to you. And, and we always enjoy talking about, you know, Mizzou's been, a, it's definitely been a team we've heard about again and again and again. And we always like hearing from fans. So thanks so yeah. much. Yeah, man, appreciate it. So, Dave, what's up? We'd love to hear from you. I'm gonna, Garrett. I'm gonna send you an invite, and Sam, and we'll get to you guys. I promise. Hey, what's going on? What's going on, guys? Man, there's a couple things I got on my mind today. For one, I'm still, I'm still recovering from the A&T loss to Gardner Webb, so we missed the FCS playoffs. Mm, but... Yes, I saw that score. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I yeah, was... that was a rough one. It yeah. was a rough day in the office for for A&T that day. Um. But now, so they're going to head to the CAA starting next season. So we'll see how we do. We'll see how we do in the new conference. Um, but the big thing that I've noticed um, was the fact that I guess there's over 1,500 players already in the transfer portal, including 235 FCS players. So I want to try to get your thought, you guys' thoughts on like the way that the transfer portal is pretty much turning into a bonanza. Um, when it comes to like people going in and out and how does that impact high school recruits as well uh, for becoming on 2023? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. By the way, just one last aside. It's amazing because Gardner Webb, of course, now they're going in the playoffs with a six and five record, but five of those wins were perfect big South. Uh, but I'm, I, I just want to say as a side, I'm really looking forward to seeing how North Carolina A&T does next season in the CAA, but I'll, I'll set that aside right now. I apologize. I just yeah, want to say could... that. No, I just it's, it's it hurts. It stings a bit, but then at the same time, when you look at who Garner Webb play, you can you we shouldn't be shocked. I think everybody going to the season was talking about Ant and Campbell, not realizing that Campbell hasn't never had a winning season, right? We just was talking about that recruiting class that Campbell had, and then they ended up not having a winning season. And Garner Webb was out here almost beating two FBS programs. Yeah, I remember us, that Liberty game. Yeah, then they out executed us, man. They yeah. they executed the game plan to a T and we just had too many turnovers in the game and that cost us beat ourselves really. But, uh, but going back to the transfer portal, that's been, you know, it's fascinating because obviously each year it's been out. There's been kind of questions of how, you know, legitimate it's, it's going to be and how, it, how, you know, how much growth we're going to see in it. And if it's going to turn this into kind of a mercenary free market, especially once NIL got established, but Goodness gracious, all I can think of is USC proved exactly what you can pull off with it. So certainly, I think more coaches, sorry, this darn flu, I keep getting this cough that wants to come on. But certainly the coaches are seeing what Lincoln Riley is pulling off at USC. And obviously, I'm not saying everyone's going to be able to pull that kind of talent off the shelf like the Trojans did. But um, I think for a lot of players, some of which know their value and are no longer restricted like they were to, you know, sitting out a year or dropping down a level and then not losing a year. It's certainly it, it, the success of this year for some of the teams, um, I think, has made them more con. I mean, especially the players more conscious of their potential value, which they couldn't always necessarily take advantage of before. Sirius, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'd say that um, obviously the the big names kind of garner the most attention. And then, of course, players like uh, Tathan that transferred from school to school to school because they kept getting beat out. But I think one of the things that kind of, you know, it flows a little bit more under the radar is that out of all those kids that are transferring, a lot of them probably aren't going to change schools. You know, they're putting their name out there. They're seeing if there's any any interest. But for the most part, they're probably going to stay right where they are. And then there's also a subset of them that are already planning on transferring colleges for one reason or another. 
And the transfer portal just makes it so much easier for them to find a spot where hopefully they're going to be more, they're going to be happier in their college choice and their career choice in terms of, of their, you know, what they're going to study, what they're um, pursuing in their education. God, and it helps paycheck. them, it helps them find a, find a spot by doing that, which, you know, that's something that we were kind of missing before. So, you know, I know somebody that um, non-revenue sport went through this first choice college didn't work out, did not like it. And then they were able to use a transfer portal and um, had one lined up that fell through, but another one kind of came out of nowhere and said, Hey, we see that you're looking to, to transfer schools. Would you consider coming here? And that wound up being a great fit. So I think that that's one of the, the stories that probably doesn't get as much attention where it's actually, it's helping everybody involved in that situation because it's a, a kid that's at a school that's not a good fit. They want to make a move. And this makes it easier for them to find places to go to where hopefully they're going to be happier and more successful. And the school they're transferring to is going to be able to, you know, find someone to fill up a roster spot, fill up a scholarship spot. So um, I think that's probably, for me, the bigger takeaway in this is that it's kind of like when we have, it's not, I don't think it's as big of an issue as the number of, of players who declare early for the NFL draft. I think that's a bigger issue because, um, so many of them just that we see it happen year after year, they declare early, they don't have a good rating. They're not going to get drafted in a good, good position. And a lot of them can wind up going undrafted as a result. And, um, I know the NCAA has made some changes there, but I think that's probably a bigger issue at this point than the portal itself, because we've seen the fact that, that some of these players are having a lot of success going through the portal. Some of these teams are. But we also get some really, really great stories um, from the kids that decide to just stick it out. Um, West Virginia a couple weeks ago, you know, backup quarterback had to come into the game because their transfer quarterback was out and had a phenomenal game to lead them to a victory. And, uh, you know, just really, really cool uh, stories and plot lines that kind of developed through that. So um, still early in the, in the whole, you know, transfer portal uh, history. Everybody's still trying to get it all figured out, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how many people actually make a transfer and how many of them are just there testing the waters. That's a great point about... It, oh, go ahead, Dave. It, it just makes it tough, right? Like, when you think... Like, I understand for both fans, because I, I think it's great to have the, for the players to have their rights and can make the decision of whether or not they want to make a move or not, but I think it also makes it difficult for the coaches, right? Like, it makes it tough for them to make plans, so if you got a guy that's going to the portal and then they end up just hopping back in, it kind of makes it kind of makes it a little bit um, awkward, <laughs> awkward, man. Yeah. Oh, abs- absolutely. It's, uh, you know, in a way, the recruiting cycle never ends. Right. Because you're out trying to attract the new set of talent, but also at the same time, you're, you're having to, you know, do everything to retain the guys you already got on the roster. Um, but I think if you're a coach, though, it's, you know, kind of. You're talking out of two sides of your mouth, right? If you're if you're uh, upset about a player going into the portal, but then at the same time you're looking at the portal to see who's available. So you, it's a it's a tricky spot to be in, unless you're going to say no, I'm not using it at all. Um, which you know Dabo kind of that was his initial move, and we've seen him come back on that a little bit. But if you're a coach, and well, if you if you're a player for a coach, and, and he's like, you know. Don't want don't want players transferring out. It's like, well, okay, but you're not going to transfer anybody anybody in to take my spot, are you? So it's that's the tricky spot, I think, from a coaching perspective. Hey Sam, you wanted to add something? I, I think the trickiest part is how big of a paycheck you got for these guys. It's almost like the NFL free agency. Uh, you got to certainly have that upper echelon. Yeah, certainly at that upper echelon where you got, you know, A&M in Texas, Texas A&M in Texas and, you know, USC and Alabama or Auburn, um, able to throw some serious cash down. But at the same time, I mean, I do think about some of these programs where and I think this is also a problem I can imagine for FCS programs. You got a guy who's looking really good, like FBS talent, and he can suddenly throw himself in the portal and then. You know, maybe not. We're not talking necessarily the top, top echelon of FBS programs, but suddenly they've got someone like maybe a, a Kansas State or, 
you know, Kentucky or which is obviously a fine team, but you know, some of these other programs reaching out to grab someone to fill a hole they may not have otherwise. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right about that. I just feel like it's like almost become that's like an old man. It's like college football's become free agents like NFL, but yeah, but and also it, 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 and like you said about FCS, man, it's it becomes FCS versus FBS, it becomes the haves and the have nots too. Because you know a lot of FCS programs don't really have that same type of capital that those bigger FBS programs do. So then you'll see a bunch, like you said, you see a bunch of the great F- FCS players decide to to go into the portal, like a BJ Davis from South Carolina State. You know, he declared for the portal, right? So like when you see the when you see those type of things happen, then you know it impacts it impacts those programs as well because they can't compete with the money. That's just the reality of the fact. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's definitely interesting to see how this is kind of, you know, the longstanding comment is college football was sort of minor league for the NFL. But now it's almost making some of the other programs minor leagues for the same you know, within college football because it's so easy to pull somebody when it was much harder before. But, um, hey, Sam, I, I know you, you jumped into this conversation, but did you want to did you want another topic that you, you had in mind since we're talking to you? Uh, you gamble any? OK, the chances Lane Kiffin like plus 100 stays or leaves for any college after the Egg Bowl. Oh, man. Oh, goodness. Serious sucker bet, not touching it. I thought it was a deal. Absolute sucker bet. I'm not touching it. Dave, what are you thinking? Smoke screen? I thought, it was a, I thought it was a done deal. I thought it was done. I thought he was already going to make the move. If you, according to Kiffin, he's not. But, yeah, I mean. Yeah, just, just like Lincoln Rollins said, he's not going to be the coach at LSU. At least he wasn't lying. I believe there was a, an Ole Miss coach who once said that they'd have to take him out of there in a in a pine box. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said a few weeks ago, if, if Lane Kiffin leaves for Auburn, if Ole Miss loses another head coach to Auburn, I don't know, Oxford may burn. I'm not sure. I don't know what the reaction is. If, it, that's an, if that's an angry if that's an angry response or like a resigned, depressed response. I mean, we saw what happened when he left Tennessee quickly after just a season there. Um, you know, they'll try to try to say that there weren't any riots or anything, but definitely remember at least one mattress got set on fire. I do. I remember that. Um, but you know, it's interesting too. I mean, Oh gosh, I, (laughs) I, I, my joke was they should just, if I were Kiffin, I would somehow get them to just pay him the $80 million now. And he doesn't coach and spends like, uh, you know, a couple years on the French Riviera writing a novel. I bet he'd write a really fun, wacky mystery you know, kind of suspense novel. He's got that in him. He's got to. And then come back and coach again. You know, do what uh, the Mora approach to coaching. You know, get fired by UCLA, come back later, take over UConn, and somehow get them relevant again. So, you know, that's what I would do if I was Lane Kiffin. Because I I feel his talents, even in football, he's got other things he could do. Um, I'm just... I'm I'm trying to figure out where Matt Rule's going. I'm trying to figure out where my former Panthers coach is going. Like, it, he, he just showed back up out here interviewing about what happened when he got fired from Carolina. So now I'm curious to see which which uh, college is going to pick him up because it's just a matter of time at this point. Absolutely. You know, I know we've been talking about him. He was brought up, I mean, at this point for every coaching vacancy. But I think we, we definitely – we think he would be a better fit for Nebraska at this point. But I don't know, Sirius, you still feeling that way? I just want to see how he's going to coach like five different programs at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Garrett, you've been up here in patient too. What are your thoughts on, and what did you want to talk about? Somewhat similar. Cause I've got kind of a mixed bag on that. I, oddly enough, I was at uh, Michigan and Nebraska two weeks back and every Nebraska fan I was around was mentioning Matt rule or Bill O'Brien. And especially with how bad Alabama's offense has been this year and knowing how uh, non-complacent, you know, Saban gets, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if, if Bill O'Brien tries to look around somewhere else, but that's just kind of reaffirming the point that uh, the other speaker had had on there with regards to rule and, and, you know, Bill O'Brien and things like that. But um, I, I want to say something right now and I'm, and I might get flack for it and that's fine. I don't understand the UFC hype whatsoever. Like I get Lincoln Riley as a coach and I understand Lincoln Riley is, 
I loved Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, and I think he's done a great job with what he did there with keeping continuity from the Bob Stoops era and keeping that whole thing there, you know, innovative offense. You know, obviously Rattler didn't work out. He's doing his his thing at South Carolina. Caleb Williams is, is great as he is, but, like, the fact that now all of a sudden with two weeks left in the season, everyone's, you know, hopping on the USC bandwagon like they're this all of a sudden good team out of nowhere. Like, no, we knew they were good heading into the season. We knew there was a chance that they were there. Now, yes, did Caleb Williams maybe give himself a chance to get into the Heisman race? Sure. Do I hate the fact that a guy can hop into the Heisman race, hop in and out of the Heisman race within, you know, a week or two of a, of a season? I do, because I don't think that's necessarily indicative of how the season goes. I think it should be truly what it says there is a indicative of the best player all season long in college football. But then again, I'm a little bit different when it comes to what I want to do and what I feel it needs to be. So I, I have a little bit of a bone to pick there with that. I mean, obviously, you know, I might be a little biased. I'm not going to say biased. I mean, I still think CJ Stroud's the best player in college football. I would probably say right behind him would probably be Blake Corum. I mean, you could probably throw Chase Brown or Mo Ibrahim in there because they've been good. Jalen Hyatt at Tennessee has been fantastic. And Drake May has been great down in North Carolina. But like, I just, I, I just think people acting like all of a sudden USC out of nowhere has got this chance. It's like, let's be honest here. If Michigan wins on for, on Saturday against Ohio State, they're 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 going to be in the playoff, and you're you're going to have two Big Ten teams in there, and then everyone's going to start you know complaining about how oh USC should have deserved it. Like no, you, you guys knew that they were good heading into the season. That, let's not act like this is some outrage right now. Oh yeah, no, and I think similarly, if LSU beats Georgia, we'd see another you know second conference member. Almost what certainly. You, what, what would your thoughts be on that though? If if a two large you and in uh, the other host, if, if there was finally a two loss team that did make the playoff. I mean, last mm-hmm. year we saw the first group of five team make uh, make the playoff. I mean, is this year we see a two team playoff? I mean, or two loss team make the playoff. This is going to be so. I think almost certainly, no matter how this all pans out, we're going to see the uh, the real desire to get this playoff expanded ASAP and 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 why we should have one. But all that said, I just want to just quickly interject. Hey, I'm a USC alum, and I am just as shocked at. Everything. I think I could all USC fans feel the same way, more or less, except, you know, everyone's got the, you know, the the, the ones that drink the Kool-Aid nonstop 24-7. But the majority of USC fans, ones who really do still care about the team, but we're not, you know, necessarily bonkers. We're all just shocked. We're just like, this is crazy. Just like, enjoy the ride, bro. You know, like that is that is the USC fan mentality right now because we can't even believe it. Um, and uh, um, let me see here. One second. I think we're getting feedback. Hey. Um, from, uh, I wanted to touch base real quick before we got too far from the topic on the uh, the Auburn opening, if that's all right. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about that for a second, then we'll get back to to Garrett's. Yeah, um, no. So Nebraska fan here been a uh, been you know obviously the the coaching portal deal has been big here. I hear there's some real smoke um, to what Dave was saying earlier. There's some real smoke to Mount Rule in Nebraska. Apparently, last year Campbell at Iowa State, it was a done deal. And they called him and said it, uh, it was all off. They're keeping Frost back. And that's why they were so frustrated with how the season went that they fired him before that buyout would decrease is because they kind of took a leap of faith with them there. Uh, but as far as the Auburn job, what I'm hearing there is that it's pretty much Dabo's to turn down. Um, and, and then also Gundy is kind of rumored there. Um, I don't know. That one seems a little bit farther out there, but going to hang up and listen. That. That just seems like – sorry, I, I, I just find that very strange, that whole Auburn thing. I mean, as an Alabama guy, I've got family who went to Auburn, Bama. Like, that that school's trying to play like they're they're so – they're such a big boy school. Like, just just read the room and know who you are. Like, just that that's all I'm going to say. Um, If you uh, – the only person I think that ever actually believes Gundy is going to be going somewhere other than Oklahoma State next season is the Oklahoma State athletic director who keeps falling for it and paying him more money. I mean, he's he's done this twice with Tennessee. Uh, pretty much whenever a high, a high profile job comes open, apparently if it's an orange team, I don't know if that's like a personal preference for him, but his name gets bandied about. He gets an extension. He gets raises for his assistant. He gets a raise for himself. Um, the man hasn't left Stillwater in like thirty years at this point. Um, so <laughs> he, he's he's not leaving Oklahoma State. Um, and as far as Dabo, I mean, going from Auburn with a lake to Au- Auburn without a lake, it, that one seems extremely far-fetched. 
Um, and I don't know that as money crazy as Auburn boosters are that they've got enough horsepower to pull that one off because that would be that would be a huge move and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever if I'm Dabo Sweeney. Well, so here's here, real quick. Sorry for interjecting again, but the thing is, is that Gundy lost Knowles to Ohio State, and he's losing his quarterback. And same thing kind of with Dabo. It sounds like DJ might be moving back to the West Coast. Dabo lost Elliott. He also lost um, his defensive coordinator. I'm, I'm, uh, Venables, obviously, to Oklahoma. Sorry about that. But the thing is, is like, can they go to like a fresh spot with a lot of money and kind of rebuild their staff, you know, get – you know, their new quarterback in and, and go. It's, it's kind of a unique situation for both where they're losing their quarterback and they're, like, down their coordinators. I mean, if you actually follow those programs, then, no, it's it's not that kind of a situation. I mean, uh, Gundy brought in Derek Mason as his defensive coordinator, who was a pretty big, big hire, who left Auburn to go to Oklahoma State to replace Knowles. And Dabo losing Elliott, if you talk to most Clemson fans, that is addition by subtraction because they weren't happy with his offenses to begin with. Obviously, losing Venables is a huge loss. Um, but, you know, it was kind of one of those. Eventually, he's probably going to leave if, if somebody makes the right offer um, for a head coaching position. But to leave everything there and, he, and then DJ moving, I think a lot of Clemson fans expect him to leave. Um from sources that I know of close to the program, I haven't heard that anybody actually knows what he's going to do because he's kind of an odd cat when it comes to to his personality. Um, so even you know people who are close to him say that they don't know what he's going to wind up doing right now. Um, I think most people would expect him to transfer because he's not a really a good fit. But Clemson fans have been clamoring for the backup anyway, so I don't really see you know, an assistant, a quarterback, that kind of thing as being a make or break deal for why you leave in the case of Dabo, a program that has won multiple national championships, has all the facilities, all the staff in place to recruit for it. um, And a much, much easier conference to win to go and have to play Nick Saban every year in the iron bowl, plus Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher and Lane Kiffin. Um, and then you got Kirby Smart there as your cross-division rival for however long the SEC keeps its divisions. It just doesn't make any sense from most people's thinking, I don't, I don't believe. Um, you're just making yourself have a much, much harder job to get the level of success that you're pretty much cruising to right now. Because we're talking about Clemson's kind of like outside looking in right now in the playoff. They've lost one game. <laughs> They're probably going to win the ACC unless something crazy happens, like cruise control, and they're still going to be an ACC champ this year, most likely. So, no, I, I don't think that either of those two are very realistic. I mean, like, they could always happen if someone comes in and says they want to offer, like Tim Cook decides he's going to spend a ridiculous amount of money uh, for his alma mater, but without something like that happening, I don't really see it. Yeah, so, um, but going back to, I want to just quickly go back to what Garrett had brought up earlier. Um, so talking about the, um, the, the success, I mean, because one of the things we, we soon realize is, you know, the question is, how is USC at this point so close to, to making it into the playoff? As I said, I'm not sure how they are either entirely. Certainly, one thing I will say, I mean, you brought up so many points in that, so I've got to kind of address some of these. One thing that's going in USC's favor is the end of their schedule looks stronger um in the sense they're winning the the they're winning rank games at the perfect time to be winning rank games they're if if they win out and that's a big if because we've seen how shaky they are that and, and i completely agree like you watch some of these games you're like oh my gosh they, they're not quite tcu level of crazy luck but at the same time you know they got by ucla that was a hell of a game but not necessarily instilling a ton of confidence that they're a dominant team. Although, again, number 16 team, they beat them. It was a mixed audience because it's USC and UCLA in Los Angeles. It's always almost a 50-50 audience. But then they're going to get to host Notre Dame, number 15. So they'll get another opportunity to show whether or not, you know, they're able to build a rank, beat a ranked team. And then they're going to get the Pac-12 championship. So then a third ranked team. And so they'll get three different opportunities to sort of build a resume that might help them 
get in. And I agree with the, the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, particularly if it's Ohio State. And if LSU upsets Georgia in what would be a pretty incredible upset, no matter what, um, that would that would shake it up because either Sorry. loser would would certainly, I think, potentially have a strong argument, and I, I wouldn't doubt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I, I dropped a lot on you there. I was just saying, just in general, I think people, I'm not going to say they were acting shocked, but I, I think we all knew heading into the season that USC had a great chance to come out of that Pac-12, and that the Pac-12 was going to be better, obviously, than what it was last year. And I think that people, you know, this is kind of one of those things that we start seeing with the schedule now. And actually, and I don't know about you, yeah, you know, I don't know about you, um, and your thoughts on the 12 team playoff, but you know, especially when we see the 12 team playoff kind of come in, I'm hoping we don't lose these last couple of weeks because as much fun as it has been to kind of see it from afar, it also is kind of annoying as well too, to see that, okay, well, teams just, you know, all of a sudden in November goes from, you know, no one really talks about them to, or they, they talk about them, but not nearly as much as, as some do to, okay, now they're, they're shooting up these rankings and giving themselves a chance. I mean, I guess you, you could draw the parallels as well, too, you know, for college basketball, you know, from, let's say, conference play onto the tournament. Sure, you could probably make that argument, but that's all I was simply trying to say. I'm not sitting here saying I'm oh, shocked sure. that USC was this great team, you know, or that they weren't this great team because clearly they were. I mean, obviously, you know, USC doesn't make that higher if they don't think that Lincoln Riley is the guy to get them to where they need to be. Oh, no, no. And, you know, but I just want to say, I, going to the, the expanded playoff, I think if we were in it right now, one of the big conversation pieces would be who was going to squeeze in last. And we'd be suddenly talking about that Notre Dame-USC game because Notre Dame is number 15. If they beat USC, they'd presumably climb up and then there would be the question of, oh, are they going to put Notre Dame in the playoff? And you know, that would you just know. You can hear it in your head. You can already hear the talking heads talking about that one. So, I just love so, it. So for me, I'm curious, right? Like for me... And this is coming from somebody that watches FCS. And I and I know how much the politics are involved. I know there's so much money involved when it comes to doing expanding the playoffs and things of that sort sort. So for me, I always wonder, like, you know, FCS been doing playoffs for 2014 for years. So I don't know why it's such a big deal to just expand it to like twelve or even sixteen. I think um, yeah. I'll let, I guess I'll let him go first. I, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of think FCS. See, FCS doesn't, I don't know, maybe FBS just got too big too quick. And then part of it was, oh, well, now we have all these sponsors. And now we have this. And now we have that. So then they're, you know, you kind of have to scratch too many people's backs. And once you realize you expanded too much, you're like, yeah, you know what? You can't, uh, you can't do this. And then you finally did it. But you still have a bowl system because you realize, oh, crap, well, we have all these games that we ended up doing. And uh, and then, I mean, that's just my opinion on it. I just got too big, and yet you didn't want to, you know, get rid of the traditions like New Year's Day for the Rose Bowl and Citrus Bowl and all this other stuff, and now you're just kind of stuck. Well, the thing is you can always still have the bowls. Each freaking round can be a bowl. Like, that's not hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can just make each round a bowl, give each round, give each game a sponsor. Like, that's not difficult. Yeah, but one of the things that entices me as someone who lives in a cold-weather state, I live in the state of Michigan. Like, the one thing that excites me is seeing a potentially a team from, let's say, like the state of Mississippi, right? Seeing, like, Ole Miss, let's say, coming up here to play in Ann Arbor, coming up here to play in East Lansing, or playing in Columbus in the middle of December. Like, that's that's what excites me the most. It's not the fact that they would play, like, in a Sugar Bowl or in a Fiesta Bowl. That's not the whole point. The whole point of the 12-team playoff, for me as a, as a college football fan, would be super exciting because I find I find it, amazing that you could have a team who they refuse year in and year out to come north of for whatever reason come north florida. here to, you know <laughs> come north of florida and like that's just you know that's just to me it's like <laughs> to me it's i find that amazing like you said fcs has done it for years and i've always loved that they've done it for years and honestly it's created a lot of rivalries over the years because like montana montana state's been there james madison made a name for themselves in the fcs level like i mean i know north dakota state's obviously made themselves a huge level and being a you know former mid-major basketball guy like i love seeing that as well too but just just in general like you're right the fcs has done it but i just think the fbs got in their own way and I don't know. I guess they maybe they feel like if if they did that with the bowls, that the bowls aren't there and that the player, but it's like the, half the players wouldn't play in the games anyways if that was the case. So even if that was a case where you're right, say they had a Rose Bowl that was part of the the playoff, I still don't think you'd get players that would go play for it because if you're a high enough draft pick, you would just don't want to risk it. 
Yeah, that's that is that's accurate. I'll give you that. Yeah, you you're not gonna really not you're not gonna really get that national champion if you're not gonna unless you shorten your season and then start it earlier to give them a reason to play more games to reduce the amount of game turn. Because when you mm-hmm. think about an FCF team, right? Like I, I know the top eight seeds get a bye, but then there's some teams that gotta play like what three or four extra games, give and take, if you make it all the way to the end. I mean that's a right. that's still a that's still a I mean, Go ahead. It's a barbaric sport. So, <laughs> and then you think about the students and the fact that they got to do it through the holidays. I think the first round is this weekend. The first round of playoffs is this weekend. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, like, so, I, I've never understood why. I've never understood why in in a lot of these markets you can't just have college football season start in the in the first week of August. Like, let's be fair here. Your season ends in January. You know, these guys are, let's be honest here, by the time probably July rolls around and late June, you know, early July rolls around, they're probably ready to get back on Bro, the football field anyways. You could probably a, get started in August. You're 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 from Michigan. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah, a, I'm a, I live I live in I live in New England, but I'm originally from South Carolina in August. No. It's hot. Yeah. It's hot. <laughs> the crowd yeah, is all that we, jumping around y'all be doing with a hundred thousand in the crowd. Nah, y'all will die. Some of y'all gonna faint in that crowd. Ain't I mean, no I mean we, hey, we see I, southern I, teams that, that play in August and you got guys out there who have been practicing in the heat all summer and they're still <laughs> puking on the field, you know, halfway through the game, and you got guys going to the to the locker room to get IVs and stuff because of cramps. So um, I'll, just, I'll just say this it, right now. Mom grew up in Alabama, so I'll just say that much. And I spent like half my summers down there. But anyways, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to, to kind of spread the, the conversation because we've got a couple of others up here. Let's see, not John Stamos. You were up next. What's up? No, I'm glad that someone brought up USC and, a, and kind of anti-USC because I'm, I've, I'm fully in, drank all the Kool-Aid possible on USC. And uh, I was frankly shocked to see them not be number five in, in, in front of LSU. So I'd like, to, I'd like to be talked down a little bit. Um, especially after seeing the UCLA game, thought it was as, as little closer than what you think. But, I mean, that offense was almost unstoppable. It felt like, felt like there's, there's almost no better offensive unit in the country. Maybe a better, the only better unit in the country is that Georgia defense. Um, and then with the, the Heisman uh, conversation, who has done more for their team than, than Caleb Williams? It, without him, they're probably – six and four, not even in the conversation. Uh, the, the, the argument for Stroud, I could see even if Stroud doesn't play this whole season, there's still Ohio State's still 11 and 0. So just want to hear your thoughts. Try to try to talk me down off uh, all the USC hype I have right now after, after seeing everything. Um, let's serious have a shot at this in a second. One thing I will say, that defense suddenly just doesn't want to show up. I still don't know what happened to that Oregon State game. That's the one game I can't figure out. Like our offense and their offense both turned off, and then the defenses for both teams, you know, suddenly were apparently playing great when you look at all the other games out there. Certainly, USC's loss to Utah was a very respectable game. I mean, I watched that Utah won that game on a two point conversion to break what was turning into a firefight, just like that UCLA game this past weekend. So that was, I mean, certainly doesn't hurt them that their one loss was extremely close in, in just what objectively was a hell of a game. Um, and if there wasn't so much chaos on that same day, it might have been easily considered the best game of that day. But all of that said, man, the defense, though, is still like, again, against UCLA, watching that game, I mean, <clears throat> all respects to their quarterback, but it's hard to see how the offense will keep him in. But I do agree, the you know, it's hard not to... <clears throat> Give the quarterback play. You know, Caleb Williams is so strong right now at, at what he does. And even in that loss, he played lights out against Utah. So I remember specifically the Heisman campaign for uh, Carson Palmer. It started late, mostly because he was kind of a – he never really blossomed. He was brought in by Paul Hackett, who didn't really have a chance to use him um, all that much. They broke him out into the field as a true freshman. You know, he ended up getting injured, so he redshirted a year. You know, uh, Pete Carroll, his first year, was okay. And then halfway through the second year, he suddenly started to take off. And that was when they got his Heisman campaign going. Um, Of course, that was also the rare year where the number one and number two Heisman, uh, uh, you know, 
um, votes went up against each other with Iowa. I forgot who their quarterback was. Oh, I forgot his name. Banks. Oh, I think it was Banks. But um, so again, you know, for all that said, I mean, I'm not too shocked that he's getting a Heisman campaign late. Do I think he's going to win? I think there's really some terrific teams uh, and terrific players on those teams will probably still get a bit of an edge. Do I think he might get invited to New York? Yeah, I think that might happen, particularly if he shows up strong against Notre Dame. Because, again, the other thing I've said last week when we had this conversation, USC and Notre Dame always bring more hype, like Texas, even when they're not necessarily doing great. So when they do start to look good and when they're about to show down, you know, this upcoming weekend with a, a battle of ranked teams, I think it'll give it, and for better or worse, bigger you know, bigger oomph than it might otherwise have been. And it'll give, especially to the older voters, this sense of, oh, wow, look, USC is back. They beat Notre Dame, you know, and, and <laughs> as a, you know, <laughs> think back to eras long before. Serious, what are your thoughts? Was, was that supposed to be like Regis Philbin or? I don't know. That's just me leaning into the flu because honestly, my voice is slowly coming apart. <laughs> um, I'd say the most surprising thing about USC this year is that I guess the media finally got burned enough times that they only had them at 14 in the AP preseason poll. And uh, I remember when Lane Kiffin was there and they put them at number one and they were still under all the sanctions and everything. And I think it was that the year that actually they, they wound up firing him, that he got tarmacked was when they were preseason the number after. one. It was the year after. That okay. Was, that 2012 season was where he ended looking like the Unabomber in the Sun Bowl. Okay. All right. <laughs> It kind of all like ran together. There were only like there were there were it was a very short time period, so it's all kind of condensed in my memory. But um, yeah, that was kind of the most surprising thing to me as far as you know the Caleb Williams to for the Heisman thing. Maybe you know it's always good to have some highlight reel games towards the end of the season, so it's fresh on on voters' memories. Um, I mean, I still think that Bryce Young is a phenomenal quarterback that. Just Alabama has not been a good team around him, um, which is a weird thing to say that like Bryce Bryce Young deserves a better team, and you're talking about Bama. Um, but I mean, he's had some outstanding plays that normally would be like a Heisman highlight reel, um, and I think he's had some like nagging injuries too that have kind of thrown it off a little bit. But like the the receivers are not as we're we're not as good this year as what he's been used to. Obviously, he doesn't have somebody like a Marvin Harrison Jr. that C.J. Stroud has. Um, or uh, or or the kind of talent you know that Caleb Williams is throwing to for USC, um, but I think it's really just going to come down to to who how they finish out the season because uh, you know obviously we're gonna all the votes are going to be in before we see in the national championship game the playoffs, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, if, if CJ CJ Stroud can run the table, I think that definitely kind of puts him in the catbird seat in terms of the Heisman race, um, if he can beat Michigan, if they can win that big 10 title, uh, just because voters still value that the ability to win. Um, so that's kind of, kind of where I'm sitting on it. Um, I still think USC needs things to line up the right way for them to make the playoffs. So, yeah, I, again, I agree. Cause again, I'm looking at the teams that they're competing with. I mean, Clemson, Alabama, you know, LSU, they're, they're such strong programs and it's, I don't know who I would take in that fight. You know, I'm not sure. And, and and I can't say I have a particular favorite in that. Certainly, again, but there's a lot of football to be played. I mean, USC's got to get through Notre Dame and then presumably, I guess, Oregon. That's going to be, if they again, if they make the Pac-12, oh, I, they, I think they've locked that down. So the Pac-12 championship game, that's going to be, uh, that, that's going to be a tall order for now. And I, maybe we'll have a better idea of this team after that. Uh, and I think that's something we can say. And, and and of all the teams that we're talking about, again, I think right now the the top four, and uh, especially, and LSU, if they can beat Ohio, pardon me, if they can beat Georgia, those are going to be the ones that I'm more confident in than I am the rest. Although, again, with LSU, it's fun to, again, imagine that same thing. I never would have guessed this. I never would have guessed we'd be talking about them this late in the season, especially in this way, especially after week one. Yeah, after losing to, to Florida State, because at the time we didn't know if, if Florida State had actually turned things around, you know. Um, we we had uh, Carter on here at the beginning of the season, 
to talk about Florida State. We knew that they've made progress, um, even though it wasn't easy to see in the wins and losses columns. But, you know, with FSU being the FSU that they've been recently, coming out and kind of shocking LSU with that, you know, winning by, you know, a finger basically um, (laughs) to open the season, and then getting blown out a few weeks later by Tennessee – really hard to believe that that they've turned it around the way that they have. Um, I'm still pretty firmly in the camp that if LSU beats Georgia, they are 100% into the playoffs. I just think that Georgia's got such a reputation this season that the clout from that victory will get them in. I don't know what seed they'll be, but I think that 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 alone will carry them. Um, And I think that actually hurts the chances of getting two SEC teams in because I don't think – I think that hurts Georgia's chances of being able to kind of like tag along if they, if they try to go in as a one loss. Um, the winner of the Big Ten is going to be in. TCU still has two big games left. Um, Iowa State likes to play the spoiler. And then they've got the, the Big 12 championship game. Um, so I think if they went out, they're definitely in 100% but they still have to get through those hurdles um, between now and then. Um, so I think that, that USC still got a chance. Alabama, in my mind, they're out. They're done. Um, there's not a route for them It would them need in. way too many things to happen. I mean. Exactly. Can, I mean, yeah. we're at that point, we're talking like the winner of Ohio State-Michigan loses to the Big Ten West champ. Um, which would just, I mean, if, if you lose to the Big Ten West champ, you don't deserve to make the playoff. I'm, I'm sorry. It's one of those kind of years. And like TCU loses at least one game, if not two. Ah. And maybe yeah. like, maybe USC loses the Pac 12 championship. I mean, like, really weird things have to happen. Oh, well, USC in order for to lose once. If USC loses once, the Pac 12 is out 100%. I don't, I don't yeah. have any. I don't think there's any chance they get in if they lose any of their games. So really all they can do right now is just keep winning and, and hope for the best, which I think is better than it seemed before. Again, Tennessee losing helped that. Um, and uh, and so some of those things have, have kind of loosened up along that path. Hey, I wanted to yeah. kind of – I kind of wanted to reach out to some of the others who've been up here because we're going to try and wrap up pretty hard at 60 minutes. Andre, what's up? You've been, you've been patient. Oh, thank you. Can you guys hear me? Sure can. Okay. So I have a question about the expanded playoff. Uh, can we just have it like at the home sites? I mean, I would like a playoff to be at the home site and then reposition the New Year's Six Bowls to just be at large versus at large. Let's say featuring the teams that got eliminated from either the first or the second rounds. Yeah, you know, I do believe the uh, the first round games are planned to be home games at the the stadiums. I remember in the initial conversation, and I admit I haven't followed up quite as much. They haven't released necessarily uh, as much level of detail. But I remember when I listened into the uh, the conversation with Executive Director Hancock uh, after they announced they are going to do the expanded playoff, the plan was to do that first round at home stadiums and then, of course, buys for um, the, some of the teams that will then be in the next level. And I believe those will... St- I think those will be bowl games. Um, I'm not sure they're going to all be home. Um, And then uh, the only question, and again, the details, excuse me, that haven't worked out, was if you have a year where one of the, the, for example, the G5 teams is coming up and they've broken into the playoff, and it's a G5 team with one of the lesser stadiums. Let's just, I don't know, uh, let's just say some random team that from the MAC or the Sun Belt. I'm not going to name one because some of them have excellent facilities. Then they might look to a nearby pro stadium or a nearby other stadium that can be rented that might be up to a level that could host what they're imagining could be a pretty colossal matchup. But beyond that, I mean, I know those first round games are going to be home games, and I think that's going to be potentially a very exciting part of all of it. Um, I, I think going beyond that was going to be asking a bit much again, as it's been talked about. Um, I know Garrett was up here and we've, we've had that conversation, obviously uh, uh, Dave earlier when he was up here, that the amount of money that's in all of this, it's, it's going to be hard to un to release the grip of all the, uh, all the, 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 the money that's already into it. And frankly, there is a bit of joy and fun 
in going to some of these semifinal or quarterfinal, semifinal. Um, actually, wait, how does that work? No, no, that's my anyways. But you know, going to some of those other games that could be in sort of these exotic locations um, for these these big matchups, certainly. But I don't know. Hey, Sirius, what are your thoughts on this? Because you talked about it a lot earlier. Yeah, I think that you, you've got it. As far as we know, the details are, are pretty rough right now. But yeah, the first first round being home games. Um, and I think that maybe it, it, originally there was some talk about the second round being a home game as well. But I think that that's, they're just going to say that the higher seeds get a bye and then they play it at a bowl game and then the next round at a bowl game. And then, you know, the rotating site national championship kind of game, the way that they've been doing it. Um, and I think that's kind of where the, the issue with the Rose Bowl comes in is because it may not line up for it to be on New Year's, depending on which round it's in and also the tie-in with the big 10 and, and the pac 12 is would probably pretty much be out just because there'd be so much variety in who you have in there and unpredictability um from year to year but i'll throw in the other part of this is that having been to a lot of bowl games like the you know florida type bowl games um there's usually a very very large crowd of midwesterners that come for those because let's be honest most of the players don't want to play in the snow and most of the fans would like to see some sun by the time you get to late december early january so as much as we talk about how cool it would be to see teams having to play in you know other environments and things um there's a reason most of these big 10 teams have indoor practice facilities too they're not out there every single day you know in late november early December, toughen it out in, you know, frozen ground and everything. Um, and a lot of those facilities, they just straight up aren't, aren't set up to handle it anyway, because they never have to host games. You know, like you go to the turf management program for like for Lambeau field is pretty elite. Um, they've got a huge reputation for a reason, because there's a lot of work that goes into having a, an open air field that you can play on in January in Wisconsin. So I think oh, that there's some there's some other logistics there that that everybody gets excited about the idea of snow games and everything, but uh, <laughs> there's probably you know, some ground I, screws that would prefer that they not have to worry about that. I'm trying to, to winterize their turf fields. I have to bring up the Gophers when they first built. Um, I guess it's now Huntington Bank Stadium, but it didn't have a heated field because they're like our regular season typically ends before you know uh, it's going to be ending roughly by maybe the first week of December. It's not going to be that cold um so that was the reason why and then of course uh, some of you may remember the metrodome bubble roof tour and then the vikings had to quickly move over there and that turned into a disaster i think brett Favre got a concussion because he was on the vikings that one year because the ground was as hard as rock and so the vikings ended up installing a heated field system for the two seasons they played there while they were building the new uh, u.s bank stadium and so now that stadium can actually host a winter game pretty well, but <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's something that a lot of, you know, a lot of times we don't really think about because it's, it's not that big of an issue, but I mean, heck, you, we just saw what happened where Buffalo had to, to cancel their, the bills had to cancel their game and move it to Detroit to play in a dome because of Lake effect snow um, in November. And you know, and that's that's. I mean, Buffalo is used to getting dumped on when it comes to snow, pretty heavy. Um, and they still do it. And then you know, the Buffalo Bulls, the the this the, the college team, they had to cancel their well, postpone, I guess, indefinitely their game because of that same snow because they weren't able to play on it either. Um, just you know, massive snowstorm rolling through. So you could just imagine the chaos that having something like that happen when it's you know, a playoff game that you absolutely have to play and you've got, instead of a 53-man roster, you've got, you know, 80 to 100 guys that you got to try to relocate plus all your staff and everything on short notice. Um, so, yeah, I think that as fans, we think it's exciting, but on the from, from the logistics side of it, there's probably a lot of guys that are like, um, do we have to do that? Can we, you know, maybe one game's not so bad, but... Man, doing multiple, that would be rough. Hey, Andre, before we start wrapping this up, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, looks like the mic monster. 
struck. <laughs> That's no problem. It's gonna. We we really left like... him speechless. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. You know. By the way, before we do take off, there was again another Mac game that ended on an incredible, you know, touchdown in a couple of minutes. Miami came back, and uh, Miami of Ohio beat Ball State. And so that was a great game. They won by one point, 18-17. And because of that, their players are going to the Bahamas. Like, again, that is my favorite bowl is the Bahamas Bowl of the minor bowls, only because the players are thrilled. You have all these – the Conference USA and MAC now give all of their players passports. Like, they pay to give all these kids, some of which have them, but many of which don't, passports just in case – they get to go to the Bahamas Bowl. And so all these kids, yeah, it's six wins. Yeah, you might complain there's no, there's too many games. They get to go. They get to go stay at the Atlantis Hotel and Resort. They get to swim with dolphins. I mean, not the last year they didn't do a video of that, but there were earlier teams that showed these players just having the time of their lives doing dance-offs on the beach, beach volleyball, playing, you know, in these pools. So that to me is like the ultimate reward bowl. It's like, congrats. It's not like, haha, you're we're sending you to Detroit. It, this is like, hey, we're sending you on a vacation, dude. This is You went to college on a football scholarship, and you are going to do something you may not ever get a chance to do. Because as we know, not everyone's going into the NFL from any of these, for, for, except for a handful of teams. You know, so most of these guys aren't going into the pros. This is like a great reward. So I am so hyped for Miami. But seriously, I know you had one quick story you wanted to relate. Yeah, and, and just, yeah, the, the experience they get to have is absolutely phenomenal. Which we kind of get these, these a lot of disparity sometimes between bowl games because some locations are definitely more glamorous than others. And we're talking about how this is a little bit unusual because before the game, they had gone ahead and they had announced that whoever won the game was going to be the MAC representative in the Bahamas Bowls, in Bahama Bowl. So, you know, they were playing for something a little bit more than just the W tonight. Um, they knew what the reward was going to be. So, I know that you remember this back when the Aloha Bowl was a thing for about 20 years from, from the 80s up to 2000, right? There was a year, 1996 season, where Army and Navy were playing each other in the Army-Navy game in the season, last regular season game of the year, right? Both of them had had a really good season. They were, let's see, Navy was uh, like 8-2, and two going into it and army was uh nine and one i think so they're playing each other well when they go to play the game because it's so late in the season they announced that the bowl seeds were were what they were going to be competing for the winner would go to one bowl the loser would go to the other because they were both independent teams and that's back when we had a lot more independence so you have the Army-Navy game, a huge rivalry. The winner of the Army-Navy game gets to go to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. The loser of the Army-Navy game gets to go to Honolulu for the Aloha Bowl. You have to think that there might have been just a few players who heard that announcement and they're sitting there and they're thinking, eh, Shreveport, Honolulu, Shreveport, Honolulu. Like, it's not a, a, a bad, you know, uh, consolation prize to get to go all the way to Hawaii for your bowl game instead of winding up in, in lovely, you know, downtown Shreveport. Hey, so, hey, hey I just got to say, Shreveport is the Honolulu of Northwest Louisiana. <laughs> and and if, if you're from Shreveport and you're listening, Yes, we are making a little bit of fun, but in all fairness, we are comparing you to Hawaii in this case, so it's it's a tough one to live up to. Um, so, wound up being a close game, 24-28, Army won. They go to the Independence Bowl, and uh, Navy got to go to the Aloha Bowl and beat Cal, um, while uh, Army went to the Independence Bowl and uh, lost to Auburn. So that's my story on a, on a predetermined bowl uh, association with the winner and loser of the game and kind of like the, the weird situation that played out with. Oh, I love it. That's a fun thing. And again, to those of you who might be from Shreveport, I grew up in Bakersfield. Don't worry. It can get worse. So on that note, I think, <laughs> I think we're going to slowly start wrapping this up here. 
This was RCFB Talk 111. We heard from a lot of you, and we always enjoy hearing from you. About every Tuesday night, we have these call-in shows. Because of combination of travel and my own flu, we haven't been able to put together. We haven't put together guests just because it's going to be too much of a push for us. But we'll start getting them together again soon. We're actually setting up at least one or two conversations for when we get back from break. Regardless, we hope if you're going out of town for Thanksgiving, you drive safe, you're traveling is safe, if you're flying, if you're staying home, we hope it's an enjoyable one. We hope no matter where you are, it's enjoyable. There's going to be a lot of football. No football tomorrow because they've decided to stop having Wednesday night football the day before Thanksgiving because of all the travel. But we'll be right back with so many games to enjoy. And we're going to have a lot more interesting view, potentially, of the playoff picture heading into next Tuesday's show and next Tuesday's CFP rankings. So, And if, my- uh, if Ole Miss loses their coach in between now and next Tuesday, we may even have an emergency show. Oh, yeah, that depending, would be <laughs> Depending on, on how much chaos we have. <laughs> well, on behalf of myself, Bob Ekairi, on behalf of Sirius, thank you for joining us. It's always great hearing from you. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.